You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. John chapter 11, of course, is the well-known chapter of the sickness, the death, and then the resurrection of a man named Lazarus. And there's a lot of preaching in John chapter 11, and really, as I've studied it the last few days, probably I could say it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I really think you could probably take it for a year and just stay in John chapter 11 and preach the different truths that are in it. But I want us to see something tonight that I pray will be an encouragement to us uh, about our God in regards to Him. In verse number 32, we'll begin, and we'll read down through verse number 36. Jesus has already come to Bethany. He's talked to Martha, and now Mary comes out to meet him. These women are distraught. They're broken. They're sorrowing because of the death of their brother. In verse number 32, the Bible said, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Now, I thought it was interesting. She was at his feet before. She worshiped at his feet. And now in the midst of sorrow, she knew where to go again. She fell down at his feet. That's a good place to be. You never want to be more busy about the Lord's work than you are about the Lord. And I'm glad she made much of him at his feet. She fell down. She said, Lord, if. Now that statement was made by Martha as well in verse 21. She said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, And the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. There's two times in the chapter where Jesus groans. He groans in verse 33 and he groans in verse 38. He groans in sympathy and he groans in sorrow. He groans for his sheep, if you will, and he groans over sinners. And said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, such a packed verse, two little words. Jesus wept. Verse 36 is where I want to preach tonight. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. As Jesus stands there, seeing the sorrow on Martha and Mary, these women that he loved because of Lazarus, his friend who had passed away, his humanity, if you will, shines forth. And I'll preach on that in just a moment. I'm glad he wasn't just Christ Jesus the Lord. I'm glad he's Christ Jesus the man. I rejoice in both aspects of who our Savior is. He's the man, Christ Jesus, and He's the Lord. He's God Almighty. He begins to sorrow. He's touched with their grief, and tears run down the face of God. That's almost incomprehensible to think that whenever you sorrow, He sorrows. When you hurt, He hurts. When you have a burden, He wants to lift it. And here, tears are running down the face of the Lord. The Bible gives us a phrase that John mentions 64 times in the Gospel of John, two words, the Jews. And the Bible said this crowd had come to comfort Mary and Martha. They are the Jews. That's the crowd that is anti-Jesus, against Jesus. Their agenda is to thwart the progress of the gospel. That crowd is standing there. And as they look upon the Lord, his tears testify to them. And they cannot deny it. Jesus loves Lazarus. I think they'd even go so far to say Jesus loves Martha. Jesus loves Mary. He's there, he's sympathetic, he's weeping, no doubt about it. I can look on their life, see the evidence of God loving them displayed in their life. 
But what I want to do tonight is I'd like to step in the story, go up behind that crowd of Jews, tap them on the shoulder and say this, excuse me, but he loves you too. You might not think so because of your attitude toward him. You might not think so because of your thoughts toward him. You might not think so because of the, the, uh, the agenda you have that's anti him. But in spite of all that, can I say, he shed tears for them, but he's about to shed his blood for you. He loves you too. You might have wandered in here on a Wednesday night and you'd step back and look at others' lives and say, it's evident, man, God loves them. Man, God's good to them. God sure is blessing them. But I want to say, excuse me. I don't care who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. I want to say, excuse me, he loves you too. For a little while, we'll preach on that thought. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help tonight. I pray that you'd give us power to preach, help us to see the truth, and encourage someone in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are several great things about being married and uh, all the romantic stuff. It just comes natural for me. I don't even have to work at it. Just get up that way every day. And we get to do all kinds of romantic stuff. She'll uh, pluck my ear hairs and, I mean, all these romantic stuff, you know. And I'll help her shave her beard. It's just great. Uh, but whenever we leave in the, in the morning before school, I'll get up early and way before pastor gets up. And I'll get up early. And uh, anyway, when I get ready to come to the office, I'll uh, say goodbye to my wife and I'll try to sneak out. We play this little game, you know, and I'll just try to sneak out without giving her a kiss. And by the way, when you're married, you're allowed to do all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, uh, I I'll try to sneak out and she'll say, wait a minute, you got to give me some sugar. That's country words for you better give me a smooch, you know, a kiss. And so I'll walk back in there and I'll give her some sugar. Amen. I'm hoping to get some this evening, maybe before I leave. But anyhow, I'll walk back in there and I'll give her a kiss. Lincoln, our little boy, he's four and a half years old. He'll be sitting on the couch eating his breakfast. We usually give him a very nutritious meal. It's either Pop-Tarts or it's Cocoa Puffs or something of that nature. And the other morning, and this is a true story, he had chicken nuggets for breakfast. And that's because my wife's the model wife. She has a hot meal on the, uh, on the table every evening. You just hit the microwave for 30 seconds and there it comes. Uh, anyhow, he'll sit there on the couch and he'll, he'll say, now, daddy, I don't want any sugar. And he's a liar because if he didn't want any, he wouldn't say anything. And he says it in such a way to where I know he does. And so I'll go over there and he'll make a big scene about it. And so will I. And I'll give him some sugar. Now, when he gets a little bit older, I won't give him that at all. I'll give him a handshake and say, son, go to school and don't get kicked out. But for now, we'll give him sugar. He wants to know that I love him too. I've been watching some videos this week of a lady that I've preached against but never even paid attention to. She was before my time as a preacher. Uh, you would maybe know more about her, but uh, 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 Madeline Murray O'Hare. She came out in 1963, established the American Atheist Organization, and she was the one who got prayer banned from our public schools. Uh, that woman is, is dead now, and if she didn't get saved by the time her heart stopped, she's in hell, and it's hot where she is right this very minute. I watched some videos of that woman, just very antagonistic and anti-religion, she would say, but honestly, if you watch her videos, she's not necessarily anti-religion because she did not preach hard against yoga or karma or Zen. She just didn't like Jesus Christ or the Bible. And anyway, just a really vicious woman. I watched her give a speech on why we ought to be able to use four-letter words in public. And just a very uh, heathenistic woman. She was, uh, I believe, murdered in 1995, abducted and, and murdered. And they went through her diary after her death. And they found a page in her diary. And that woman who was an atheist and hated God, here's what she wrote in her diary. She said, somebody, somewhere, please love me. She just wanted to know that somebody out there loved her. I want to preach a little while tonight on that thought. Excuse me, but he loves you too. Our text tonight gives us a crystal clear picture of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
is displayed in the actions and in the affections of Jesus Christ. These verses show us both Christ Jesus the Lord and Christ Jesus the man. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus is very God. But on the heels of that, I'll say I'm thankful he's equally very man. I thank God for his deity, but I also thank God for his humanity. I don't hesitate tonight to say Jesus is God. He doesn't share that title with any other deity conjured up by the mind of man. He is God, and he is God alone. But on the other side of the coin, he is just as much humanity. He is more than the God of man. He is the God-man. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3, 16, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. And it's amazing how God can wrap his deity in humanity without discarding the deity or harming the humanity. Wonder of wonders, how can it be that God became flesh and was given for me? And I'm thankful tonight he is Christ Jesus the Lord. He's the creator God. He's the almighty God. He's the everlasting God. He's all those things and so much more. But he's also Christ Jesus the man. And he has every propensity and capacity to feel and be moved and be touched just like you and I. In fact, the Bible says he's tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. He's a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And here in this chapter, we see Jesus in panoramic vision. And from every angle and from all sides, we see it perfectly displayed, that union of his divinity and his humanity. We see his deity displayed in his sovereignty. In the beginning of the text, in verse number four, he gets a report that Lazarus is sick and he makes the statement, this sickness is not unto death. Now, how in the world can he make that statement had he not been a sovereign God? By that, I mean he's in control. He knows the end from the beginning. He wasn't there, but he was there. He could already tell this sickness is to bring about the glory of God. The grave is not the final destination. I'm going to bring Lazarus up out of the grave. And I'm glad he's deity and he's sovereign. He's in control. He is over all. He's directing traffic. He's guiding our path. He is charting our course. We see his deity in his sovereignty, but then we see his humanity in his sympathy. It's amazing how he's moved over the fact that Mary and Martha are moved that their brother is dead. You find out in the chapter that he groans and that he's troubled and that he weeps, and I'm glad for that. You see, Jesus knew that if Lazarus died, he'd go to heaven, but on the human side, his heart ached that he was no longer at home, and you and I can take comfort in that. When we stand by the grave of a loved one or whenever trial or sorrow comes to our life, that Jesus knows all about that sorrow. He's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. On this side, he's God and he's sovereign. And on this side, he's man. He's sympathetic. And then we see his deity again in the statements that he makes. He makes the statement, I'm the resurrection and the life. Only God can say that. He said, you know what I am? I'm the one who can pull life out of death. I'm the one who can get victory out of defeat. I'm the one that says the grave is not a period 
it. It's just a comma and there's more story coming down the chapter. He said, I'm the one who robbed the sting from death, the strength from sin. No longer do you have to worry about it. I am, not I will be, not I was, but now and forever. I'm the one that has all power. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. We see his sovereignty when he says, Lazarus, come forth and that man that was dead lives again. So I'm glad on this side he's God and he's sovereign. On this side he's man and he's sympathetic. On this side he's God and his statements show it. And then on this side he's man and you see it in a supplication. It's amazing how the Lord stops before he calls Lazarus out and he calls his heavenly father and he prays that the father would hear and answer his prayer. And he said, I know you hear me always. I think he does that for two reasons. One I'll say later, but today, initially, let me say this. I think he prayed to remind us that though he was God, he succumbed to that flesh as he lived here, ministered, and he did everything he did just as you and I can do everything we do for God in the power of of the Holy Spirit and through the power and privilege of prayer. You see, as Jesus served, he served like we can serve in the power of the Spirit and praying to the Father. And here's what I'm saying. If Jesus got the work of God done that way, we have everything we need to get the work of God done as well. I see his deity and I see his humanity. Now the chapter opens up with a report coming to the Lord from Bethany a town about two miles from Jerusalem. In verse 1 through 3, he reads about, or hears about Lazarus's disorder. This man named Lazarus had taken sick. These travelers come and give Jesus the news. And I don't know, but I don't doubt that Lazarus maybe died even before they got to Jesus with the report. The Lord knew that Lazarus was dead, but he wouldn't stay dead. In verse 4 through 6, we see the Lord's delay. The Bible said when Jesus got the news, he did not rush to Lazarus' side, but the Bible says that he sat still for a couple of days in the same place where he was. I thought about that. Why would he hold still? I think he was letting circumstances be created that would allow him to manifest the love he had for Mary and Martha in a greater way. Sometimes we get mad when God doesn't work on our schedule. And when God doesn't move when we want him to move, and when God doesn't come to the beckoning of our ringing bell, but can I say sometimes we must wait on God to work because God's allowing circumstances to form in our life that'll better manifest the love that he has for us. I read further, and then we find Lazarus' death, verse 11 through 14, he dies. He doesn't swoon, but he's dead. We know he's dead. The Jewish custom, four days he's laid in the grave. Corruption is set in so much so later in the chapter. His sister Martha said, by now he's corrupt, he's decaying, and he stinketh. We find the Lord's discovery in verse number 17. And look at it, it says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Jesus comes to Bethany. And so I'll tell the story. Jesus comes to this town of Bethany, just a small town, the house of the poor. He shows up there. He's not quite all the way into the city. He's on the outskirts of town where they would bury people. As Jesus makes his way there, he's near the place of that sepulcher, and Martha comes to meet him right out of the gate. Martha questions and said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And aren't we often uh, tempted to question the Lord when things don't work out the way we thought that they should? Jesus begins to give Martha a discourse, and some of the greatest doctrinal truths on the resurrection are given to us in John 11 as he explains to her, do you not believe I'm the Son of God? And she said, oh yeah, I believe you're the 
the Son of God. He said, well, don't you worry. Lazarus is going to live again. And she said, I know he will in the resurrection. He said, what do you mean the resurrection? He said, I am the resurrection. You're looking at him right now. He said, I'm the one that will make him live again. Her sister Mary comes out, and Mary sits at his feet and says the same thing. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have to die. Can you imagine the pain and the sorrow and the agony, the mourning there in that family of Bethany? Jesus loved them and cared for them, yet trial came to their house. Jesus is there, but there's a crowd of people there as well. The Bible says the Jews. I thought about this. 64 times in the Gospel of John, he uses the phrase the Jews almost every chapter, and it's never in a positive context. Pilate even put it on the sign, Hail King of the Jews. The Jews hated the Lord. They were against the Lord. They were anti the Lord. They were trying to do everything they could do to prove him as a false prophet. They said he's a maniac. They said he's insane. He's a child of adultery. He has a devil and cast out demons by the devil. And that crowd is there trying to comfort Mary and Martha. Jesus says, show me where you've laid Lazarus. And they begin to escort Christ there to that grave. They see Jesus as he stands there. And as he considers the situation, tears run down his cheek. And I thought, maybe not just for Lazarus, not just for Mary and Martha, but as he scanned that sepulcher and he saw all of those tombs and he saw all of those markers and he realized all of that sorrow, that sin had brought into this world. Our Savior's heart broke as he considered the tragedy of sin and its effects upon this world. Tears run down the very face of God. See it in your mind as Jesus stands there and those tears run down his cheeks. That crowd of Jews is off in the distance. They've been trying to comfort Mary and Martha. And by the way, wherever there are mourners, there ought to be comforters. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. These people are trying to comfort them, but can you imagine? This is why it's so good to be saved. They had no hope to offer them at all. They're trying to comfort, but they can't. They stand there and they see Jesus. And Jesus is weeping these tears. They're rolling down his face. They testify to their soul. And they make a statement in verse 36. And as I read it, it broke my heart for some of you or whoever it might be in the world that hears this that would happen to think that maybe it's not the same for them. They look upon the Lord and they consider the situation and they say, behold, how he loved him, how he loved Lazarus, how he loved that man. No doubt they can look on it and say, I know that Jesus loves Lazarus. He often ate in his home. I know Jesus loved Lazarus. He called him his friend. I know he loved Lazarus. He always fellowshiped with him. They might go so far to say he loved Martha too. I know he loved Martha. He put up with her being so impetuous. He put up with her kind of overstepping. He showed mercy to her. I know he loved Mary. Mary was a worshiper. Mary sat at his feet. It's obvious he's here. He's sympathetic. He's shedding tears. I can tell that he must love them. Those Jews were the ones that had slandered him. They had scorned him. I mean, they sinned against him. And no doubt in their heart they could say he has cause and ground to love them, but there's no way in the world that he would ever love us. I'd like to step in on the page of this story right about there at that point and go up to that crowd and tap them on the shoulder and say, don't get it twisted. Don't miss it. Don't mess up on this. That same one that sheds tears over them has shed tears over you. That same one that loves them, he loves you. That same one that's sympathetic with them is sympathetic with you. That same one that's interested 
interested in them is interested in you, that same one. I understand you're against him. I know your attitude's not right. I understand you're anti him, but though here are, he abideth faithful. And I'm glad tonight I can tell you, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from. I don't know how you estimate God in your life, but I can say it based on my Bible. For God so loved the world, and it's not the planet, but the people in it, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. And Jesus loves you as well. You see, I feel alone. I feel forsaken. I'm burdened and broken. I feel like nobody cares. I know one who does. I know one who loves. I know one who's interested. Hey, excuse me. He loves you too. I want to say he's just as interested and invested in those Jews as he was in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You say they've been broken, he'd been broken for them. If they'd shed tears, he'd shed tears with them. If they had suffered, he's going to suffer for them. They'd felt pain, he'll endure the pain of the cross on their behalf. You've slandered him. He gave you the breath to slander him. You've schemed against him. He gave you the mind to conjure up the scheme. You've scorned him. He gave you the language to speak. You seek to take his life. He seeks to save your soul. That'd be hard to swallow for those Jews, wouldn't it? Because they knew how they had treated him. They knew what they thought about him. They knew how they had acted toward him. How could he ever love them? I'll say it again. Even though you and I often are not faithful, he abideth that way. Adam found out he still loved him. Noah found out he still loved him. Joseph in Egypt found out gee, the Lord still loved him. Hannah prayed and prayed and found out God still loved her. David discovered though he messed up, God still loved him. Jeremiah served with no fruit, but God still loved him. Peter fell and backslid, but God still loved him. Paul was anti-Jesus in every aspect, but on the road to Damascus, he found out he still loved him. And maybe you're here tonight and you've sinned or you've been hurt or whatever the cause is. I just want to remind you, excuse me, but he loves you too. I've just come to try to encourage you about your God. Yes, he's angry with the wicked every day. Yes, he is totally against and anti-your sin. But I'll say this, he does love your soul. He does love your soul. And he wants to see you saved if you're not. And if you are saved, I'll say this, I don't care what you've done. God doesn't have any second class children. God doesn't have any uh, adopted uh, offspring. God doesn't have any orphan children. God doesn't make you sit on the back of the bus. God doesn't make you ride the pine. He doesn't sit you on the sideline. I can say this, you can dust yourself up and come back to the Father's house. You'll find there's a ring and a robe and a fatted calf for the prodigal. Excuse me, I'm here to tell you tonight that he loves you too. I don't care who you are, you'll not convince me that he doesn't love you. The fact that your heart is beating, the fact you're having, you have breath in your lungs, the fact you're here tonight tells me there's a God in heaven that loves you too. Let me say this, I'll, I'll close. Let me give you a few reasons why I know he loves us. Number one, because you have life. Job talked about the spirit of, uh, of, of the spirit of God hath made me, the breath of the Almighty hath created me. The very fact that you're walking on the face of this earth tells me our God loves you. He saw fit to form you in the womb of your mother. A life at conception. But in the mind of God, a life that's always been. And he wrote a script out just for you. He gave you your hands and your feet and your eyes and your hair. The only thing that you had control of is your waist size. Say amen right there. That's your fault. Don't blame God for that. Isn't it amazing how God gave you your personality because he wanted that? He gave you uh, the way that you uh, carry yourself. That's what he wanted. 
I know he loves you because you have life tonight. And your life is, listen, you ought not ever consider taking your life. God thought enough to write out a, a plan for your life. You should never take it. Number two, I know, I, I know he loves you because of, of, of life. But number two, I know he loves you because of what he left. I thought about this. We sing all these songs about how beautiful heaven must be. And we sing songs about we can't wait to get there. And we'll quote verses about how good it's going to be when we arrive. All that stuff that we brag about that we're going to get to go enjoy. Jesus left all that to come to be where we are. Isn't that an amazing thing? He left the streets of gold. He left the sea of crystal. He left the gates of pearl. He left the fellowship with the Father. He left the splendor of that city to walk among sinful man. It's amazing. You say, I just don't feel like God loved me. You better check yourself just for a minute. He traded out all of heaven to come to earth for you. Amen. He walked on dusty streets instead of golden avenues. He traded out that crystal sea for muddy rivers. He traded out life and glory for life among humanity. You say, I don't think he cares. I say he does. He left it all in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son made of a woman. He left to become like us so that one day we could become like him. You say, I don't think he loves me. I beg to differ. He gave up all of heaven for you and I. I know he loves me tonight and you as well because we have life because of what he left and then also because of what he lifted. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and in sins where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But thank God who is rich in mercy for his great love worth he loved us even when we're dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ for by grace are you saved and hath raised raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. I'm glad he lifted the cross so he can lift the condemnation and one day he'll lift the Christian. Thank God for what he carried for us. No longer is the weight on me. The wrath of God's not on me. The judgment's not upon me because Jesus carried it off. Jesus bore my burden. You say, I don't think he loves me. He carried a cross up Calvary's hill for you. Raised us up in heavenly places. Number one, I know he loves you because of life. Number two, because of what he left. Number three, because he what he lifted. Number four, because he loadeth me every day with benefits. Man, I got I don't I don't just get I don't ever eat like this, but if I wanted to, I don't just get the single, I'll get the double bacon cheeseburger. That's how good God's been in my life. I don't just have what I need, I get what I want most of the time. God's been better than good to all of us. There's not a one. All right, fine. Go ahead. Stand up and testify. Tell us how bad God's been. I haven't seen a liar for a little while. I watched Fox News and Joe Biden was on there right before we came to church, but it's been an hour or two since I've seen a good liar. Everybody all right? You say, you ought not say that about the president. I didn't say that about the legitimate president. Oh, my goodness. I am meddling tonight. That's job, that's job security, I think, right? Is that what that's called, Mr. Streamer? God's been good to us. Man, I tell you, you say, I don't feel like he has. You're sitting in a pew tonight, not in a jail cell. You're not in a ditch. Amen. You're on, you're on a plush pew, obviously comfortable enough to take a nap in. You ought to praise God for that. Man, you're wearing out upholstery. Same in right there. You're not sitting on the street corner someplace. You'll go home tonight, and I guarantee every one of us will have something to eat. It's a Baptist distinctive. <laughs> You'll lay your head in a bed, or if you're not right with your spouse on the couch, which is still better than nothing. 
Amen. God's been good to us, hadn't he? Not going to hell. You say, I don't think he loves me. Oh, what in the world? A little trial rolls into our life and we magnify that little thing and we minimize those huge things, these truths that God every day blesses you in a thousand ways. I know he loves you. I know he does. Excuse me. Hey, he loves you too. He does. He loves you too. You might have a face only a mother can love and God loves you too. I almost called a name. Let me give you one more reason why I know he loves you too. Let me give you two. I'll give you, I won't preach them so we can get done. I know he loves you too because you have life. Because of what he left to come to where you were. Because of what he lifted on your behalf. Because he loadeth you with benefits. I know he loves you too because of his labor right now. Even right now, you know what he's doing? Interceding. Even right now, you know what he's doing? Advocating. Even now, you know what he's doing? Being your high priest. While you and I are down on this side, he's working on that side. But I got something better than that. You know what he's doing right now? Preparing a place. He's building you a mansion right now. You say, I don't think he loves me. Go tell that to your mansion when you get to heaven. Kick back in a golden lazy boy. That's not biblical at all. But think about it. We always, we're going to fish in the crystal sea. That's not biblical either. Actually, you can't prove to me that we're not going to. So I don't know. Every deer has ten points on both sides. It's going to be great. No calories. He's right now, while you're, there's a place that is as real or more so than Santa Clara, California, beyond the clouds. It's as real as that pew you're sitting in right now. It's as real as the car you're going to ride home in, and it's a place called heaven. And right now, while we're waiting on this side, he's working on that side. And there's hammers ringing out, and there's saws growling as they build a mansion on Hallelujah Street. Right down Glory Boulevard, right there by Moses and Paul. And you say, explain that. I can't. That's why I'm not God, and he is. I just know I'm heading that way. But I got a mansion on the other side. And then let me give you one more reason why I know he loves you too. <clears throat> he gave you life because of what he left, because of what he lifted. He loaded you with benefits, his labor. And lastly, because he told you we're going to leave. That same chapter that told us that he's preparing a place said, and if I go, I'm going to come again. Now, you've got to love somebody if you want to spend forever with them. There's some people you don't want to spend a day with, let alone forever. Yet God loves you enough. Jesus said, I tell you, Father, he said, I, I said, all those that are mine, he said, I want to be with them in Gospel of John. He said, I want to be with, with them to be with me. One of these days, we're going to trade out earth for eternity. The old song said, we'll take a flight without an airplane, transportation on silver wings. Lose all gravitation and say hello to heaven. Have a new body, praise the Lord. Have a new life. That resurrection of Lazarus, one of these days, I've talked about it, preached on, on the radio today. That first resurrection, those graves will open up. The dead in Christ will rise. You know what doesn't rise? Cancer. Diabetes. Arthritis. You know, it doesn't rise, any kind of affliction of the body. But thank God that new, quick, that, that glorified body raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus up will raise that body up out of that grave one day. But then I got good news. You and I that are alive and remain. Paul thought it could happen in his day. It might happen in ours. We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. 
by the Holy Spirit within us, draw us up to the Lord. And the Bible said, we'll meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. You're here tonight and you walked in this place saying, you know what? I can tell God loves him. And I know God loves her and I can see that God could love that person. But he knows what I've done. And he knows my stinking attitude toward his th the things of God. and he, he knows how wicked I am. And I understand that. He knows all that about me and more. But I have all these evidences that say, hey, excuse me. I don't know what you feel or what you think, but I can tell you this based on my Bible. He loves you too. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Paul said, I am persuaded neither height nor depth and he said, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're not a second class Christian. You're not the black sheep of God's family. He loves you like the song on Sunday like you're his only child. I'm going to pray the altar be open. Maybe you needed that tonight. Would you just come anchor your faith in the faith? Hey, here's, here's the way to do Christianity. Quit trying and start trusting. You'll be miserable trying. Just trust the fact God loves you tonight. He does. He loves you in spite of yourself. He loves you because of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.